Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Yesterworld podcast. It's been a while. Um, part of that is due to me trying to figure out exactly what I want to do with these going forward. As I mentioned in the previous one, I'm pretty much going to stick to uploading these to iTunes and SoundCloud and not really putting them on YouTube unless, you know, there's like a particular guest or I start using a webcam or it relates to a particular episode or something more along those lines. Um, And one of the things I've always been curious of trying to do is to have a weekly podcast versus just a doing it whenever kind of thing in between videos and being able to cover things like theme park news, current events, and things that you can do more so on a weekly basis than doing it maybe once or twice a month. But as you can imagine, it's a little difficult getting a new guest every single week, especially one that pertains to the episode that's on YouTube or something. So for anyone who's been following the channel recently already knows that we've been getting a lot more content out. Um, Part of that, and mostly, is due to having another creator on the channel named Quinn. And so it gives us a great opportunity to, he does his videos, I do mine, but they all fit under the umbrella of Yesterworld. So he brought up the idea of potentially trying a new format with the podcast where he would be a co-host and we would do these weekly and then when the situation arises we get a guest and so we're going to try that. So with all that being said we're just going to jump into this one and feel free to let me know your thoughts going forward and um, for anyone who doesn't already know where you can find us go to youtube.com slash yesterworldentertainment which is the main uh, channel that all the content's on. Um, all that being said, enjoy the podcast. One thing that I've wanted to talk about for a while is the whole buzzy situation because I've never had a chance to talk about topical newsy stuff because that's just not how it's worked up until now. But I think doing a weekly format, it would work well to be able to talk about things in the news. But a lot of you probably have noticed I tend to put buzzy in a lot of my uh, intros lately. And it kind of started as a gag because of what was going on. But I thought it'd be fun to actually realistically, like, you know, talk about what could have happened, what we think happened or or whatever. So. um, So, yeah, what do you so, Quinn, what do you think, like based on what you've read and, you know, versus Twitter and uh, I mean, it blew up everywhere. Like, what's your opinion on um, the real story? Well, I kind of versus this kind of, you know, I know we've talked about this just amongst ourselves before, but I kind of started out completely on the the conspiracy theory train. Like I was trying to figure out how they'd smuggle this animatronic out. It was just such right. a great story. I kind of just wanted to believe it. Um, but as time has went on, I think I think we've talked about how I've kind of kept up on it a little more than than you were with the with mm-hmm. the details of the buzzy thing. But from what I've heard. I really don't think Buzzy was ever stolen. I think it's always going to be... I think the vast majority of people are probably just going to think that he was because they probably didn't go much further than the right. initial like breakout story, which, if I remember correctly, like the first couple days, there was pretty much no evidence or anything. Like, just somebody said he was stolen, and then everyone ran with that. Right? Like, there were no pictures. Or I, I still don't think there's been a picture of him not there. Are there? Or was there? There is a picture of him not there, and I think you can even see some of the um, pipelines that were cut. So that's a for sure thing. Is in terms of photographic evidence, he is not there. Um, 
I mean, I, I really think we're we're either never going to find out what happened to him, which I think is by far the most likely scenario. I think you said you probably think they will tell us at some point. Um, I think what's most likely I don't know is if they'll just... tell it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I don't think that... Um... I don't think they'll come out right and like, you know, hold, hold like a press conference and say <laughs> what happened. But I do think that in some way with because of how big of a deal it became that eventually something will come up, whether it's an Imagineer or an employee of, Ep, you know, someone who works at Epcot or a cast member or whatever. I just think it, it became too much of a huge thing to have it just be like a completely unsolved mystery. Maybe it'll be five years from now. I don't know. But I do think at some point there will be some closure as to what really happened. And and I'm on that same boat where my theory, based on what I've read, and I haven't dug into it too incredibly much, but my theory is that, and I've heard other people say the same thing, where... Um, I, if I remember correctly, if you go by the police report, it was that clothing had been um, removed from Buzzy. Some cast member or someone had stolen some of the clothing from Buzzy, like the jacket or the hat. And so I think a police report was filed. And then I think from that point, Disney probably said, okay, it's probably better to just get rid of this thing now because it is such a, you know, deep-rooted in urban legend kind of thing, and people were always trying to sneak back there and see it. So they thought, we might as well just take it out now before more gets taken away or someone steals an eyeball or something. And I think they just removed it, and maybe they didn't expect it to blow up because a lot of cast members, I was talking to someone who actually worked at Epcot, and that was kind of like the number one thing Like when people who are like into theme park history, when they got hired to work at Epcot, that was like the first thing they would try to do is to get access to go see it, to get like their, um, you know, their um, supervisor, whoever's, you know, leading them to take them back there. So it was kind of like this rite of passage in a weird way. And so obviously it's such a huge part of, you know, theme park history and everything. So I think they just probably wanted to eliminate that, you know, if that makes sense. Like instead of making it this like, place that's abandoned that people want to go try to see it because it still remains by removing him altogether it just kind of took away that incentive to try to sneak back there you know or the incentive for cast members to try to get someone to take them back there if that makes sense and then someone found out that he was removed entirely and I think that's maybe they didn't anticipate that but I don't know at the end of the day I guess we don't know everything because there's no, a lot I think... of I think you're probably right. Yeah, I think that probably spurred them to, because I know what you're talking. I read that too. The they'd stolen his gloves and maybe his, maybe his hat, and they had said that yeah. they had sold it for eight thousand dollars. I don't think there's actually been any evidence of that, but that's just what was said: is that they sold those pieces of clothing for eight thousand. Which I would be really curious to know how you go about selling that stuff. But um, I mean, it can happen because a while back, and I included this in my Figment video, but. Someone had found, I mean, I guess it's a different circumstance, but someone had found these, like, the the original figment puppets that were used in the finale of um, Journey into Imagination, and uh, they sold them on eBay, and that's how the pictures came out, because some guy just had all these degraded puppets, 
And I guess Disney probably can't really do anything about it at that point. But I think if it was stolen and there was like a police report filed, then definitely there's that's probably a lot harder to. Well, that's what I mean. There's a difference kind of thing. I mean, I have no idea how he got his hands on the puppets. I know what you're. I've seen the pictures. I just don't know the backstory there. Maybe, uh, maybe they were sold, or maybe somebody that worked there, you yeah, know, took them out of there more thirty legitimate. years ago, and then they finally sold. Now it's versus something that is stolen, and they're looking for the guy. You can't exactly throw that up on eBay. So I'm just wondering. Right. Like, you must have to know somebody who would want to buy something like that, or or something. Um, but yeah, I think you're probably right. Like they noticed that somebody had been back there and tampered with it, and that really doesn't make them look so great. I'm sure that people are climbing around an attraction that's been closed for over a decade and stealing yeah. clothes off and selling on eBay. So like, all right, we might as well just remove the animatronic completely. Yeah, um, just removing the. Ince- I guess that's the best way to summarize it. I think they wanted to remove the incentive of people wanting to sneak back there because. Yeah, it's still cool to see the abandoned like show scene, you know, the the whole stage and everything, but having such an iconic animatronic still back there. You know, when you look at pictures, that's where people that's why they snuck back there to see him. So it kind of removes that incentive and it's just a lawsuit or a liability waiting to happen like if an employee trips on a cable and breaks their face and or someone who sneaks back there and you know, I know obviously it'd be their the person's fault but you've always heard you know you hear the stories about the the robber who you know gets hurt while robbing a house and then he ends up suing the people you know so they probably just wanted to limit potential liability well also the i mean once a story gets out about somebody selling a pair of animatronic gloves for eight thousand you know right. somebody else is going to be back there trying to rip off the the shirt or the coat or yep. whatever the next day so you're probably right in that line of thought i just kind of hope they have something planned for him like it just feels like a shame that he's you know it didn't get destroyed right away it's been sitting there for over a decade why not just do something with it you know like they they preserved the um the pirates of the caribbean animatronic they replaced the redhead and they put that Mm -hmm. in the i don't know what it's called the disney one of the archives, probably. But why not just do display. something like that, or just stick them in the new Guardians coaster somewhere? Yeah. Like I think the only the reason for that, and I I always kind of bring this up, is I think sometimes Disney almost doesn't want people to remember, like the redhead thing's different because it was very iconic, and you know it's not like Pirates of the Caribbean was completely closed and abandoned, and then they're showing like an animatronic from it. Like it's just almost like a tribute versus. With Cranium Command, people are still really upset that all those attractions closed in that area, you know? So it's like maybe it's a part of the history they don't really want people to remember, if that makes sense. Like, it's just different because that was so controversial when that closed. And uh, But I don't know. I, I also would love to see him put in, like, a display or something or utilize some way. And I've always said... I mean, there's so much space in Epcot and there's so much, so many buildings that are like temporary convention centers and stuff. I think that it'd be amazing if they had some sort of animatronic display of like, fig. I know they have them. They're in the archives like of the original figment animatronics from Journey into Imagination, like put them on display. They sometimes do in, um, there's one of the buildings, I forget what it's called. It used to be a restaurant and they have once in a while, they'll put like a couple of the figments on display, but make it like a permanent 
like showcase and you just kind of swap out animatronics, kind of what used to be in the one man's dream walkthrough before it became a meet and greet where it was just props, movie props and models and stuff. So like make it like a really cool permanent display, but that switches out what's in the display, but make it like animatronics of the past or concept art and I don't know, things like that. I mean, I think you're probably right in your line of thought where they don't want to bring attention to the, you know, because Epcot, I've seen people say, why doesn't Disney just bulldoze it and start over because that's what it feels like they're nah. doing? And I don't <laughs> think they should do that, but I've seen people say no. that because they're kind of turning the Epcot into, especially the last five years, it's kind of been a rapid rate of really changing what Epcot is, yeah. which I don't get too upset about, but I understand why people that have nostalgia for what Epcot was would. Um, but I don't think it hurts anything to do something like what they did with Figment at the Guardian's thing in uh, California mm, Adventure. Yeah, that's right. Because the only people that are going to notice that or even know what it is it, it are the diehards that are looking out for it. So, like, why not stick him somewhere in the coaster where only, you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to take away from yeah. the experience to the casuals. And it worked narratively speaking because, you know, um, I haven't ridden it myself, but the whole premise is that it's the collector mm-hmm. and he collects things. And I, I don't know, I just think people would love like some kind of designated area for animatronics or artwork I think so too. of abandoned or unrealized attraction artwork and things like that and keep it like a permanent thing, but, you know, rotate pieces out. Um, but again, I don't know how much Disney wants people to dwell on the stuff that never happened, but I do know that they sell or once in a while they do have galleries with, or even books that have um, concept art from stuff that never happened, but it's usually a lot older um, stuff. But I don't, I don't know. I, it's a hard it's just, thing because I understand. Just, you know, I just don't want them to destroy know. it. It's like I don't, I don't know. It's probably already destroyed. Like Buzzy's probably in a million pieces. He's been melted down He's and turned into it. an Elsa animatronic. But he's he's next to Stitch somewhere. Yeah. But it's just it's I don't know. It's just it's always just so weird to me that that's what they do I, I don't know it's just it's I get they can't keep everything but yeah it really yeah. is bizarre to me that when they dismantle the rides they just like the way like when you see the images of Stitch and Skippy it, like it doesn't even look like it's a carefully done process you know it just yeah feels like they just kind of rip them apart it's just that's just such a weird concept to me because I mean I don't know the first thing about animatronics and like how you would go about you know using parts from one and putting them into another but I have a hard time believing that like so many of like the the parts are that transferable where like you can just rip one out of stitch and you know what I mean like where it'd be worth it to Disney to have like I feel like it'd be worth it to some extent to keep those things like it's not like stitch has taken up a huge amount of space but I guess it doesn't matter now I know they usually keep around them for parts pretty much and I guess it makes sense. I guess I always try to think that whoever makes the decisions of, you know, I'm sure Iger isn't the one saying, okay, go in and, you know, rip off Stitch's skin and face and all that. But I guess I got to re- I got to think of it from the perspective of whoever's making those decisions, whether they should be or not, they're probably not like attached to these rides. And maybe they are. I'm not, you know, I don't know, but maybe they do just see them as like a car 
or well, I guess if you're a car enthusiast, but like they just see it as like an object, as just machinery at like a factory. And so maybe they just don't have that same kind of look that we have when we see the stitch animatronic all you know skeletons we have this kind of like like oh that's so awful but maybe they have a different kind of like oh it's just a machine so i guess it depends who's making who's giving the orders or who's the one actually going in you know there are people i always have to remind myself there are people that don't even know that have never been to a theme park so they wouldn't even know what they were looking at so if you had those kind of people doing the job I don't know if that makes sense, but like that they just they don't really have that same attachment and they just see it as machinery. So they don't have any kind of conflict about taking an animatronic and removing pieces and all that. Yeah, it's just to a lot of people, I'm sure you'd think. I mean, and me included, honestly, up until I really got into this way of like, you know, deep into the theme park thing, I always kind of assumed Disney had like a like a very streamlined process for everything they do at the parks and it's certainly moving that way but it is still just weird to me to think like how much and that's why actually i like epcot is my favorite disney park because when you walk around it's just it's just so crazy how much of that park has just been sitting there for years and years untouched right in the middle of an active theme park yeah like yeah there's even um yeah look at uh before it became the disney vacation club lounge the um image works they just sat up there and he's even part of like like a backstage tour kind of thing because for years and years and years it really was just there left untouched as it was for the most part and there's still pieces of it that are still back there i think like the rainbow tunnel and um yeah i think epcot definitely has that weird kind of past because so much has changed and so much is changing it's going to be one of those parks where there's always stuff that's you know left over, um, and a lot of look at the unbuilt you know um, the Rhine River cruise in Germany's pavilion. How you have a partial show building that was built, and then the the um, Japan pavilion. How it was supposed to be meet the world, and so the second floor was all going to be the attraction, and it's still there, and it's just used as like storage. And so Epcot really does have that weird. I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but there's so much of it that was unrealized, but it's still there. Like there was going to be a um, a people mover track, or there was going to be a people mover, and I think you can actually see in um, one of the buildings where the track partially was built. So it, but you don't really have that as much at the other ones, like the things that almost were that are actually partially built and are still there. You know, thirty, forty years later. Well, like, I mean, Hollywood Studios, even to a certain extent, like, it just, a lot of stuff there. I I just, I always just assumed that Disney would have, like, a really streamlined process for everything. And really, they don't for a lot of things. It almost feels like an attraction closes down, and unless they have immediate plans (laughs) for that area, it it just sticks there, and they don't. And I suppose it's just something that slips through the cracks, because the higher ups, that's probably not their main concern, you know? And the people that probably think about it probably have no say in what happens to that area anyway. So then it just sits there until they have a use for that part of the building again. Yeah, I never thought of that. Cause, but that makes sense. Why, why is a ride like Cranium Command left literally abandoned the same way it was? It's almost like it was left the day the ride closed. 
and has been like untouched since the lights still worked. Everything was like left. But then you have something like Stitch where even though I've heard they still don't know what they're going to do with it, they're already in the process of, you know, getting rid of um, the animatronics. But maybe it's because Stitch is like Prime or Real Cranium Estate. Command is so it's so out of the way once the whole building closed down. You know, it's not it's not like on your way to anything. I mean, Stitch is prime ah, real estate, yeah. like where it's located. Like you're not yeah. going to have that. I mean, that show building, we'll probably know in the next year what's going there, and it'll probably open yeah. in the next few years. Like, I mean, it's in the Magic Kingdom. I feel like Epcot's just one of those parks that's there's so many things ever changing that it's way easier for something to just slip yeah. through the cracks because uh, the Magic Kingdom every inch is utilized. You know, like Disneyland, yep. an attraction mm-hmm. closes down, it's not going to sit there abandoned for 20 years because. Uh, they don't exactly have ample space. Um, yeah, yeah. Epcot's a very wide, and that's part of the problem is that it's so open and like I've heard it referred to as like a concrete wasteland because and it really is you know dated for the you know as far as like what the architecture at the time was and it's just a mess of like I do really love Epcot just walking through the showcase the World Showcase. Um, but it really is probably the messiest park in terms of, well, I don't know, Hollywood Studios has the worst identity crisis, but in terms of it really not knowing what it is. But I know that's what they're working on changing, and I think Spaceship Earth is supposed to close for like two years as they change a lot, which is a huge deal because that's that eats up a lot of um, you know the visitor wait time, so then everything else will go up. And um, that's like the centerpiece attraction for it to go down for two years is pretty, pretty I think, drastic. I think Epcot is my favorite Disney park because of that reason, though. Because when you're walking around, it's like, I, I don't know. I like seeing through the cracks at the parks versus like something like Disneyland. You know, every yeah. single inch has been combed over multiple times because not that I don't like Disneyland, but Epcot, it's just it's. Yeah, I don't know. It's the same thing like when you're a California Adventure and you ride on Monsters, Inc., which is fine but it's pretty unremarkable as a ride you know um but yeah. it's still fascinating to me, like it, all I, of these very, animatronics yeah. are from a failed previous ride yeah which makes the ride so much more interesting to me which is funny because i i mean i last rode it when i lived in la two years ago so i'm excited to when i eventually ride it again to because i didn't know that at the time for a long time i don't know why i didn't get into theme park um that that aspect of theme park history i guess until a little later so i knew it was superstar limo but i didn't know just how much of it remained in terms of the animatronics and the structure and um like even the you know the first scene when it's like the long tall the long hallway it's like identical to how it was um but yeah my only problem with epcot really is i don't know why but it always smells weird i don't know if you noticed that but like (laughs) It's almost like it's near a sewage plant yeah. or something. Like every time I go there, it just smells weird between the Epcot ball and the World Showcase. It just has this weird kind of no, you're right. smell. I've never specifically sure thought why. about that, but now that you bring it up, I'm never going to be able to not. But I mean, like the Magic Kingdom is so tight and condensed, you're not going to have those little areas right. where you're not going to have the scent. You know what I mean? Like there's a million smells coming yeah. at you all the time. Epcot's just got... Well, because the concept never changed, you know, like with Magic Kingdom, that's a, you know, it's pretty much the same style and concept and idea of 
Disneyland versus Epcot was a whole new thing. And like, it wasn't about having iconic characters from Disney films and rides. And, you know, it was more about education and exploring the future. And like, it was just, and that's a whole other topic for another episode, but you know, the whole idea and the whole, um, um, I don't know what the word is, but just like everything that they, all the intentions for Epcot are pretty much gone aside from the world showcase. So that's a whole other different, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure Disney, when you, when, yeah, I'm just, I'm sure Disney feels, I'm sure I, it's weird to say this, but they probably wish a lot of Epcot just wasn't there. Like, because they want to do something completely different with Epcot now, but Right. They yeah, can't that's just what I mean. demolish yeah. the world showcase. People would be very yeah. upset about that. But I'm sure some of the higher ups, they know all of that would bring in way more money if it was just, you know, IP Arendelle attractions. And, yeah. Which is why they're kind of meeting in the middle and turning all of the different world showcases into that. You know, you you got to wonder if they yeah. they're maybe even high up uh, uh, with Disney. They're slightly incentivized to make uh, to make movies that they don't have representation for in a showcase yet so then in five years they can uh use that ip in that showcase you know like it makes sense i mean but then again you have a situation where like arendelle is a you know fictional location and they're just like eh, norway's close enough so so obviously there's a little but then like ratatouille makes more sense and then coco if they ever put it in the mexico pavilion that would make sense well right now it almost feels a little weird because some of the pavilions have nothing and some of them are yeah. like Norway basically just is frozen now, you know? And that stems from, you know, I've talked about it in previous episodes where I think at one point, pretty much every pavilion was to have a attract or an attraction, um, whether it was a roller coaster or you know, like I said, the meet the world, it was like a carousel of progress form of an override. And so that's another part of the problem. So it's like in a way they're, Realizing, I guess, the initial plan. Paris was originally going to have a gondola ride, I think. Um, and, of course, Germany was going to have the Rhine River cruise. So they, in a way, they're realizing the World Showcase's initial vision in terms of adding attractions to all the pavilions. But in a way, they're not because they're, you know, fictional movies, you know, Ratatouille or whatever. I mean, I have no problem with it. I, I'm not anti-IP like I know some people are. Especially with Ratatouille, especially since it's not replacing anything. Like it's you know it's gonna add to it. You know, but like Ratatouille, that movie, it's about France. You know, there. You know, right? And it's great. That movie has stood the test of time in a great way. Makes the most sense with that. That that makes the most sense in terms of, you know, it's like the location's appropriate. It's not replacing anything. That's probably the one where I have literally zero issues with that. Or even if Coco came to the Mexico Pavilion, I'm not super attached to, um, I always forget the name because it's changed a few times, the Grand Fiesta tour, because mm-hmm. even that used to be El River, El River del Tiempo. So that's, you know, I'm not super attached to that one either. If Coco were to come in because it makes sense um, culturally. I mean, I think most of those movies, like, like it's, it's kind of crazy how fast the turnaround is for them putting those IPs in the parks. Like, versus you look back at the late 80s, early 90s, where every movie was a smash hit, you didn't have a ride for those movies three years later, you know? 
Like, right. I mean, like, The Lion King still doesn't have a ride anywhere, does it? Um, like, some of these movies that are, like, their no, flagship but, uh, I always movies. wanted it to. Well, that's what I mean. Like, now it's just, like, Coco, like, people are... I mean, Frozen... What, what year did Frozen come out? Like, there was a ride open for that within a few years. And, yeah, 2013? Like, they yeah. have... They've got... I think yeah. they have a lot more uh, faith in their movies to stand the test of time, like... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which ones will and which I ones would love, won't. I would love to see a really good Aladdin attraction. Not the flying carpet thing they have in, you know, in um, Adventureland, but like a, I don't know, it'd probably have to be a screen-based ride. I don't know. But something, yeah. even like an Indiana Jones way where you're, you really feel, I think it'd be a really cool attraction if it was just called like the Cave of Wonders and like the attraction has a very Indiana Jones feel and you're, you know, because that whole scene is like a ride. Oh, where, yeah, you're, you know, you, yeah. First, it's like you go through the, the cave of the um, lion, tiger, whatever the cave entrance is. And then, you know, it's super dark. and You don't know what's going on. And then it's a amazing treasure room. And then it turns into, a you know, like a chase sequence. I think that whole scene. Just imagine how scene, what they could yeah. do with the only problem would be. Gene I mean, I, I suppose yeah. they probably have enough Robin Williams dialogue to do it. Oh yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you just that you're actually absolutely right. Like, just imagine the cool effect they could do when you find the lamp, and the lamp could actually physically yeah. be there. Um, like the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, when it's like, don't look into the eyes of Mara, and then that's when the whole ride kind of turns all crazy. Um, so it could be like, oh, at first it's kind of peaceful and beautiful, and then you get the lamp, and then it's like turns into an adventure ride as you're trying to escape out the cave of wonders and maybe genie helps you and i think it'd be amazing but i don't know if i guess it really depends on if the new aladdin movie i was just gonna say like amazingly well i was know. gonna say now would be about the worst time to announce a brand new aladdin ride uh and will smith will appear as genie oh gosh let's i'll reserve judgment i guess until i see the movie uh, you can't really tell off of three seconds but no it's i don't know it's it's hard to say i because I've seen, you know, in terms of the genie thing, the out, um, uh, everyone getting upset. Because I've seen, yeah, in the trailer, it looked pretty bad. I had flashbacks to um, Scorpion King yeah. uh, when that came out. Because I think I mentioned, I made a tweet about it where I didn't, I didn't really understand why his whole body had to be CG. Like, understand the lower half, obviously, but why make the entire body CG if you're just gonna like photoshop will smith's face over it but then i saw another image that looked way better and it looked way more realistic so i'm wondering if maybe what they have in the trailer is just a really early um version or then in my opinion then wait wait to put the trailer out then like you know especially if you only have to have like a three second clip prepared why not why not just wait a little bit and then put the trailer out or or put a trailer out without the yeah because they had to have known it's like one of those things where it's like they had to have known that that was not going to go over It just well. looks weird. His face, it's almost like his face is kind of floating in front of the CGI model. It looks and like And I a guess Snapchat the reason filter. they made his body CG, I think that, yeah. And I think the reason they probably made his body CG is I imagine like kind of like in the cartoon, you know, he'll, his, his body will transform yeah. into all kinds of crazy zany things. And so obviously it's a lot easier to have a, a CGI foundation. Well, and I'm actually way more. There, I'm way know? more concerned, and I agree with a lot of people on Twitter. Where like, I the genie, you know, I don't know how this movie's going to turn out. 
Um, I haven't been too crazy about the live action remakes, yeah. just in general. Like, I think I've seen all of them. Um, I think the best of the lot was the Jungle Book. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Beauty and the Beast one was just okay, in my opinion. Yeah, I wasn't a fan. Um, yeah. I have a very, like, hope for the best, but expect the worst kind of mentality where I would love, yeah, like, if the Aladdin movie turns out amazing, great. I would love to see an amazing Aladdin live action remake or even the Lion King. Lion King's, like, my favorite Disney movie. Um, So I'm not, like, against remakes. I just want them to be good, but I'm also, like, not going to be, you know, boycotting it if it sucks or right. You know, I just, I'm very kind of indifferent. It's like, I hope it's good. I'll enjoy it if it's good. If not, yeah, I still have the original. That's you know, what I was gonna say. I'm, not, away, I'm not one of those people that says that. I don't. I don't understand the mentality that it'll ruin the original for you if it's bad. It's like, no. Yeah. I mean, you still have the original. You just go watch that. But what I was gonna say is, like, what I we talked about with Star Wars, you know, I thought Jafar was worse. <laughs> like, with with Will Smith as the genie, even if he looks bad, it probably will still be okay because Will Smith is like one of the most charismatic actors we have around right um versus but like jafar i mean i guess there was only a couple of lines but like oh, he I, was what, not the fir- intimidating the at first all, time i watched it all. i didn't even realize that was jafar i thought like they swapped out his character for somebody else in the opening scene or something and then i watched it again i was like wait that's supposed to be jafar what that that's just some he bad casting from the most unintimidating uh villain that, and again i'll reserve judgment until i see the movie but i was like that's the because like he's so intimidating in the original in the cartoon and he just kind of looked like a guy they threw on a costume and said okay be evil or i don't, I don't know I'll he didn't even come up as evil see, he just sounded he sounded uninterested he's like uh casual uh bring me the lamp um if you want it's it's like op- he's ordering it's from like a restaurant like, yeah yeah like but yeah I'll, I'll reserve i don't know like i said it, it's not like star wars where and you know how i am with those where we don't have the originals unaltered on like blu-ray we have the, there's the despecialized versions which i use in my videos that are very well done um but they're not quite as good as if like they were to do a whole remaster of the originals without all the stuff so it's not like that it's not like we don't have aladdin you know on blu-ray or 4k or the lion king we have that so that's why i'm not as upset i still have beauty and the beast i didn't hate the new one but i didn't really like it all that much i thought it was pretty weak in a lot of regards but i have the original so it didn't you know it was fine i wasn't well there's a know, difference between devastated. a sequel a sequel and a remake you know like uh if it's a sequel it really can i don't think it can ruin the originals but like if a character has a certain fate it's hard or you know what i mean like it really changes the dynamic there where you know how they're going to turn out Versus like a remake, I, yeah. I can't understand how a remake would ruin the original for you, because it's not yeah. like it's not connected. It's not changing anything. It's uh, not like the Last Jedi, where and that's a whole other topic, oh but God. it relates because it, you know, now going back and watching Force Awakens, you go, okay, that led nowhere. That led nowhere. Oh, that led nowhere. So in that sense, yes, um, the Last Jedi is kind of the example where it can kind of hurt the original, but again, it's a sequel. So it's not. It'd be diff, It'd be one thing if this was a sequel to The Lion King, and Mufasa turned out to be like a crazy drunken husband, and you know, like <laughs> had horrible misbehaving children, and I don't know, like then it kind of ruins his character, right? But if it's a remake, 
you know, it won't affect the original unless it's... So I guess it really only accounts for prequels and sequels. Those can kind of affect and even ruin the experience of the originals. Um, well, it's, but, like the, it's like the Matrix yeah. in a sense where, like, oh, yeah. people, people pretty much, when you talk about the Matrix, they really only acknowledge the first movie because... The I mean, yeah. if they'd come up with a great trilogy, I, I really wonder what the Matrix... I think it'd be thought of as in a, in a completely different way. But since the two oh, yeah. follow-ups were... I mean, I thought the second one was all right, and I really didn't like the third one at all. But neither were... I don't even, even remember them. Well, that's I know what, I saw very them, for, They're very but... forgettable, but you just gotta wonder. Like, I feel like the Matrix would be looked back upon, like, way... Even though it still is, because the first one was so good... But I feel like if all three had been home runs, like it, it would be such more of a. It's not really a lasting yeah. brand. I don't feel like it's just looked back upon as like a one good movie. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Oh well, I mean, I just I think they're just going at it a little fast with these live action remakes. I think there's supposed to be like three coming out just this year. One well, rumors they're saying that they're going to work on um or that they're working on a Nightmare Before Christmas live action remake which i'm very is it still eh, is it know. still starring johnny depp i don't know but then they said it could be a sequel and i don't know i think that's more of the rumor thing right now than an absolute you know concrete yes or no that it's happening i mean i'm sure disney was very happy when beauty and the beast made a billion dollars and they realized we can do this with like every movie we've ever done but you'd think they'd want to take it yeah. a little slower because i guess i shouldn't i shouldn't even say this because we don't know aladdin could be the greatest new film of all time it could eclipse the original in every way i don't think that's going to happen but it's it's yeah. possible it just look it also just looks i don't know how to describe it but someone on twitter made a comment about how it just looks cheap and not like in terms of the visuals it's just like it's almost like too um, – there's no grit. There's no – I guess cheap in terms of like – it feels more rushed visually. I, I just didn't like, think it looked okay, like it We're going to make everything pristine and make it look really shiny and new and good. But it doesn't have that grittiness. It's so polished. I didn't think it had an identity almost in a way makes at all. Like, like a visual identity. It just looked really – it really did look like like, like right around the same time um, – Okay, I, are they doing a Little Mermaid live action? Is that confirmed? I haven't heard it. Because last year I there was like a, either. there was like a trailer for like some other studio that was making a Little Mermaid live action movie, and it like made the mm. rounds on Facebook and everything because people on Facebook don't actually look stuff up, and everyone was saying it was the official Disney right. trailer, and it, it kind of looked like that's how the Aladdin trailer looked to me. This looked like it didn't look Disney at all. It looked like some other studios cheap take on aladdin but yeah i mean i guess you got to see the full movie but what i was saying is you'd think disney even like with the marketing they'd want to be very calculated and careful like they were with beauty and the beast because they're just kind of warming everyone up to all these live action remakes so right. if one comes out and it's terrible it's you know it's not going to make the other ones not make money but it's certainly going to hurt them going forward and i i don't know like beauty and the beast was just it was just good enough where I don't think it hurt anything because most people liked it. You know, they, I, I don't know. I don't know a single person that like loves it and thinks it's the greatest film of all time. But it was good enough where you're like, oh, I'll, I'll see the next one. You know. 
yeah, it was worth it was my fine. time. But I, I, I see what you mean, where they are kind of rushing them out pretty quickly. But I, I don't know. I, I like I said, I have the mentality of you know, hope for the best, but expect the worst, and just knowing that it won't ruin the original for me. You know, especially since they're not sequels. Well, also, I heard they're doing a Lilo and Stitch live action, and I just, I just don't know how that's gonna translate. I mean, maybe it will. I, I just feel like some of these movies don't need a live action. For some reason, The Lion King, which, to be fair, isn't actually going to be really live action. Um, in the yeah, sense that's that, what I find funny. It's like, it's not live action. It's a CGI, you know. I don't I, even I know do, if there are going to be any live action characters or anything. I feel like that one could actually CGI. work. I don't know why. But, like, when I watched the trailer, like, I thought it actually looked... I think I think The Lion King could work. But there's other movies like Lilo and Stitch. I just don't know how you... And it's not even Stitch that's the problem. I don't know how you translate a character like Lilo into... I don't know. She's so quirky but and... I don't know. You'd have to have a really good actress. A really good young actress who can hit all the right notes. Uh, do you want to uh, hit it? We started out talking about Buzzy, and now we're talking about Lilo and Stitch live-action remakes. But um, I know. kind of kind of took a different direction. We can... Uh, yeah, let's talk about... Um, yeah, what was the uh, the next thing that we were going to discuss? What do we want to go on to? Because uh, we, we ran that topic for a while. Um, well, here's something that I... Because I, I you know, kind of want you to take the charge on this because I haven't had the chance to visit it yet. Um, but I've seen a lot of people comment on Toy Story Land. Like, even, even mm-hmm. right when Toy Story Land opened, I saw a lot of people saying that it felt cheap and rushed and such. And now that it's been open for six seven months i think it opened at the end of june i've heard people saying that the land is already showing like signs that it's not really holding up like and it's deteriorating and it's just not up to this you know the standard of disney i don't really have an opinion on it because all i've seen are videos on youtube and i don't think that's nearly enough to judge a a full land on but i just kind of wanted to know what your thoughts were on on toy story land and how it's held up and how it fits within Hollywood Studios. Well, I mean, like, I agree that, I mean, you don't go into it and think that it's some land that they spent years and years developing. It does, it's like kind of a double-edged sword where, yeah, it does feel a little on the, I don't like using the word cheap. It just feels a little, um, there's probably a word for it, but, like, that maybe it probably didn't reach the potential that a really, truly... Um, well-developed Toy Story Land could achieve. It just kind of felt like a half-finished idea, but a pretty well-made half-finished idea. That makes sense. Like, I think it helps that they had they already had Toy Story Mania. It's a fun. I guess it's hard because Hollywood Studios at this point it just needs more in general. So yeah. it's more easy to be forgiving than I think if something like that had opened at the Magic Kingdom, it would be way more. Um, it would appear way more cheap, but because mm. Hollywood Studios is in like a, an identity crisis, and because um, it was done for what it is, I guess I would say like for what it is, it was done well in my opinion. Um, there's a lot of cool Easter eggs. There's a lot of little details that you like. Every time I go back, I notice something I didn't notice before. But I guess that's the best way to put it. It's like a a quarter of an like a fully realized land but for that quarter of it that they did they did it pretty well i wouldn't say it showed signs of aging personally 
but it's not like the Incredibles area that they recently opened up that really feels rushed and thrown together. Like that was like, really? This is the best that they could do for this? I loved it when it was like Pixar Place and it looked like the outside of Pixar Studios and um, wherever it is in California. It'd be one thing if like they had announced this really grand land of Toy Story and then it got shrunk into what it is. How it is now is from my recollection how it was pitched, like just kind of a little tiny offshoot land in the corner of the park. And it was never built up to be like a a toontown or something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was never, I was, you know, I wasn't overwhelmed. I I was, you know, just, I was fine with it. I was like, this is fine. It's fun. It's a nice, I was whelmed. That's what I always like to say. I was, I was trying to avoid saying that because I probably use it too much, but I was whelmed. I was fine with it. And the food, I will say it has some of the better theme park food in my opinion. A lot of what I've seen has looked like makes me want to visit just to try what I've seen. Like, yeah, it's really good quick service food um, in terms of quick service food. You know, I'm always. Well, I, um, I had always thought from the get go that Toy Story is a weird choice to build a whole land around because I, I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but it just feels like a weird land that you, I don't think you. It'd be very easy to build like a super immersive land around Toy Story. Like Toy Story works in the sense that like. I don't know. I think, I mean, I'm sure the reason I picked it is, I mean, if you wanted to build a whole land around, like, Pride Rock, the Lion King, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do that really cheap? You know? Like, Toy, Toy Story is like an IP with the visuals and such where, like, nothing has to be, you, They. I think they knew that from the get-go. They're like, we can just do something in Andy's backyard, everything can look yeah, cheap and look like it's a kid's play thing because that's what we're going for. That's the point, Yep. which is yeah. what a lot of people complain about. And they're like, well, it looks cheap. And then somebody replies and they're like, that's the point. And, you know, Disney can kind of sit there and be like, yeah, yep. You it's know, they, like they did they that very Aladdin, pointedly. Like, if, if they made an Aladdin, Aladdin, Aladdin land or the Cave of Wonders or something, that would have to be done really well. Because if it, if it came across as cheap, it'd be like horrible because, you know, whether it's Agrabah or the Cave of Wonders or whatever, um, that would have to be done like on the level of a star Wars land. But yeah, I see what you mean with, with a toy story land. It's easier. It's like just a lot of the stuff is just a uh, toys that are a lot bigger than they would be in real life or, um, but I'm sure that was a very pointed decision, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like they knew like what, what other, I, I, maybe there is another one, but what, what other land can you build? with that in mind where like you have that excuse because if they came out with something like you said like Aladdin and it looked cheap they would get flamed for it but with Toy Story Land like it it gives you the visuals of Toy Story just fine you know like it doesn't yeah if if, I'd personally I guess my only I guess my only real complaint that I would say because I I mention it every time and I have no it probably would be way too hard to do is I wish that like Woody and Buzz and Rex and um, yeah. uh, man, I'm just spacing on everyone's Jesse names and today. Bullseye but, but and Jesse, Rex and... Um, yeah, I wish they were either animatronics or had some sort of movement because I it's weird to agree. see a static figure and then have them talk with nothing. From That's what I've like seen my too, only I think complaint. So as well. It's just, it looks good to me because, in a sense, I mean, I haven't been there, but just. 
I think I think I'm maybe a little softer on it because I was at Disneyland Paris this last summer, and we visited right. the Toy Story Land there at Walt Disney Studios in Paris, and or Disney one. Studios. I think it's called Walt Disney Studios, what the park is called, but. Man, it is. It, it, I mean, I it didn't feel like a theme park at all, or it didn't feel like a Disney park at all. That Toy Story Land, because it's literally just like carnival rides, with like yeah. one big like Buzz animatronic, or not animatronic, just a Buzz static figure. And it, I mean, compared to that, like the one at Hollywood Studios, looks like a Harry Potter uh, Hogsmeade. Yeah. Like, I think it served its purpose. You know, it wasn't again kind of like what you said. It wasn't meant to be. A Hogsmeade, you know, and it didn't. I don't think it really had that potential. So I guess that's why I was always not understanding the huge criticism, because, like I said, it's not like it started out as this amazingly massive idea that they shrunk down into what it was. It was kind of always intended to be, from my knowledge, like this little park that has a couple little rides and characters, and so I was more than fine with it. It wouldn't be like if Star Wars Land was like, or Galaxy's Edge, if it was just like cheap. Yeah. You know, that kind of, it's just a different, I don't think you can even compare the two and I have think, it be a fair conversation. I think a big part of it is because since the bar has been raised with Hogsmeade, mm, yeah. you know, like before that, like like whole themed areas as far as like one IP were pretty rare, you know? Yeah. Um, but then the bar was raised with Hogsmeade, so pretty much every time... Universal or Disney has tried to like with Pandora a whole land themed around one IP and with Diagon Alley it's been like this whole out we're going all out project and then they announce something like Toy Story Land and I think everyone's mind just jumps to okay they're going all in with this ultra themed land but no it wasn't really ever meant to be like this hyper focused land it was just meant to be like this little fun side thing but everyone's whole idea of like a themed area based on one IP is just all based on like the standard of Pandora and Harry Potter, which yeah. those are like mind blowing, you know. To me, it was more akin to, and I think it's better than. Um, I, I always forget the name, but in Magic Kingdom, the <clears throat> like Mickey's Circus or whatever the area is called, it's like near um, Fantasyland, mm-hmm. where it has like a roller coaster and it has like some the, shops and like the Splash Zone um, area and stuff. Or yeah, so it's like. That but that was never meant to. It's an area you walk through with your kids or whatever. It it wasn't meant to be this amazing immersive circus experience. You know, it was just a fun little area, and that's kind of how I always saw Toy Story Land. And maybe that's maybe they shouldn't have called it Toy Story Land. Maybe it should have been, I don't know, this the Toy Story something. So then maybe when everyone heard a land, and then you go in there and you can literally see everything from the entrance. Um, I think maybe that could part of be the problem i mean i personally um, think if toontown opened today it, people would say it felt cheap i i think so i think the standard has changed that much where like yeah it's a very 90s now, um yeah but i just mean with and, the same amount of effort yeah. like if people would be like oh this is cheap and thrown together but at the time everyone loved it i mean now it feels very dated because the one at, a lot of it at disneyland work. it's just like i mean well, it used the to biggest... be, and I, I'd love to do an episode on it, but, you know, it used to have, like, a working trolley, and it used to have um, just a lot more energy, and now it Well, what doesn't distracted me the most is how everything was so faded. Like, like you mm, know, a yep. lot of the buildings, like, are made of, Bricks, like, that. Yeah. They're made of, like, that. I don't know if you ever had one of these as a kid, but, like, there'd be, like, these outside, like, little, like, plastic playgrounds that you'd, like, snap together. 
and yeah. they stand out in the sun, and then they go from like bright green to like barely visible green. That's how like, the entirety of yeah, Toontown yeah. feels like something that just got left in the sun for way too long, or like one of well, those it's like such little... a vibrant. But yeah, it's not it's anymore. A... Like yeah, but that's what I mean. Like it, it initially was such a vibrant, or it's designed to be a super vibrant area. But the sun is so harsh in California that you would have to like refurbish the whole area every three months to keep everything looking as it should. So it's a very, you know, whereas in Adventureland, there's no colors there anyways. <clears throat> it's all brown and um, black and, you know, so it's like, or even Tomorrowland. And maybe that's why there's not as much color in the parks anymore, because it's so much harder to keep up any kind of vibrancy. Well, I could see Toy Story Land going that way, too, though, where, like, the sun would just bake it out within Mm. four or five years. And, I I mean, I don't think it's too much to ask of Disney to put a new coat of paint on that kind of stuff every once in a while. Because, really, I I was actually kind of shocked when I... Because I'd never... I'd been to Disneyland once before when I visited this summer, but I don't think we even went to Toontown. Um, It's kind of, like, out of the way in that park. Um, Right. uh, But when I was... I was kind of shocked at how... It, it looked like it was just, like, untouched for, like, the last five years, and they just kind of let, I don't know. They just yeah, it's kind of let the sun take over. It's probably over. ready for another coat of paint, I would, I would imagine. I haven't been there in a few years, so I'm not sure what it looks like now. But, of course, my memories of it from as a kid are, you know, probably the nostalgia goggles. But I just remember it being way more vibrant and having way more energy and way more characters and way more just kind of everything. But then again, it is geared more towards kids. And that's the other thing you got to think about with something like Toy Story Land is, you know, 99.95% of the people are complaining are people probably in their 20s and 30s. It's not meant for, and I, I don't like using that excuse like, oh, it's a kid's movie. But in a way, it's not, it wasn't an area designed for, you know, Star Wars Land is for everyone and especially like, young adults and um you know you can be in your 20s and 30s and love it but i feel like toy story land wasn't designed for that age demographic it was meant primarily for kids to meet you know your favorite characters and i know that's like not an excuse um because i don't think it was done poorly but i'm just saying i don't think the intention was for it to be you know like oh the place for all the teens to hang out you know like it was geared more towards children yeah, and when they're going think... to see everything as 10 times bigger than we see it. And they're going to see it as kind of like I remember Toontown seeming like the size of, I don't know, like um, Adventureland or something. And now you go in Toontown today and it's like, wow, this seems way smaller. So as a kid, you're going to see it way differently. And I think it was more intended for kids anyways. Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, I'm sure kids... Well, that, that's the thing with Toontown, though. Like, kids love bright colors, but <laughs> it's it's not very yeah. bright anymore. I don't know. I, I will say that was one thing where I was, when I was at Disneyland, like, especially in Disneyland, which is kind of like the the park where you'd feel like every square inch would be, you know, kept up with and everything. Um, I was well, I think surprised. right now, I mean, obviously their priority is in Galaxy's Edge, so everything's probably going to get... Um, um, yeah, and then they have to shut that down the whole area whenever they want to repaint everything. Or I guess they could do it in chunks, but um, do you think Toontown yeah, will last? Like, do you think that area of the park's going to be around for I much don't, longer? I I don't know how long, but I don't think. And it's sad because I Who Framed Roger Rabbit is one of my favorite movies, and I love the ride. Um, 
but I do not think so. I I would not be surprised if within the next five years another IP takes its place, like maybe something similar in terms of its theme, but I, I don't think it's going to last. I think it's already gotten pretty dated, and really the only thing holding it together is um, the card, uh, Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin, um, which I love, but I think... I don't know what would replace it, but I just I would not it's be just surprised such a big, at yeah, all. It's such a big piece of land in Disneyland. I mean, it's not yep. huge, but it's it's enough where they, they can fit space. a good amount of stuff yeah. over there. And it's Disneyland. That's why I don't think it'll last much longer because it's Disneyland. Like I think it would have a, you know, it might be able to survive for a few more years in a like California Adventure or something. But since it's well, in the Disneyland, rumor for a long time was that Star Wars, the Star Wars land was going to go in Toontown. Like that was a very real rumor for a long time and then they ended up just utilizing like more backstage space and thunder ranch and all that and uh part of the rivers of america but i do remember that was a pretty legitimate possibility from what i recall that it was going to be um utilized as star wars so they're already thinking about it so i won't be surprised one bit why why did they not just put galaxy's edge in california adventure like I feel like Disneyland already is, like, so popular. You'd think you'd want to push people over to the other park, but... I think space is the main thing, because, like, I think I read something from Walt Disney a long time ago where he really wished that he had purchased, like, the property, and obviously he couldn't have known how big it would get, but he wished he had purchased more of the property around the parks because... Then when Disneyland got super popular, then all the hotels came and there was no way for him to manage the quality of the hotels and the restaurants and all that. So that's why Disney World was like the total opposite, where it was like pretty much owned his own country or his own state in a weird way. So then he could control what restaurants are nearby, what um, hotels are nearby um, versus Disneyland. He really didn't have that control. And that's the problem is that there's just no space. They can't, you know, they could probably go to the, the Marriott and be like, oh, how much would you like for your uh, the, your land? And they'd be like, oh, 50 bajillion dollars because they know what Disneyland is, you know, if they ever wanted to, like, expand, which they can't really. There's no way they those businesses would, you know, they thrive. They're booked year round, you know. I mean, it would cost an astronomical amount of money to try to buy anything. You know what I mean? Like. Because they yeah. know just how much that that real estate is worth. Like, I, look on Google Maps, is, and it's so crammed. It's I Universal mean, that's why it's is so worse. Weird that you, Universal is way worse yeah. than Disneyland. Universal feels like, I mean, because I I had never been to Universal Hollywood before the summer of, uh, I think it was seventeen, and but I'd been to Orlando more than pretty much any other park, and I was yeah. actually shocked how small it was. Like, it's tiny. Like when you have to take the nope. the escalator to just like get to like you it just yep. feels so like oh how do we how do we make this work and I mean they did a decent job it's just a shame like because we bought like the it's called the Express Pass um, right but like the one where you can go on every ride an unlimited amount of times just walk to the front um, and we uh, we thought we'd need it and then we had done literally everything in the park by like. Yeah. 1030. And we were like, uh, oh, wait, there's nothing else to do. Um, well, that's why they're getting rid of so much of the um, 
like part of the studio tour is gone now. The part where it was that's was kind of sad to me because it was like such a historic element of the um, backlot tour, or not backlot tour, but the Universal Studio tour. They got rid of the whole um, Ten Commandments area, and they're also getting rid of a lot of the sound stages. Or that's what they were doing. They they demolished a lot of the sound stages near the lower lot. And they're rebuilding them over a part of the studio tour so they can expand the theme park because it's so confined. And I remember they tried, because when I was living there, I lived in Toluca Lake, which is like five minutes away from it. It's just right down the hill. And I remember they were looking into buying uh, more property like the golf course. But of course, they wanted a ridiculous amount of money, so it didn't work. And then it would have been even more... It would have been like a third escalator that you, level that you would have had to go down. But yeah, they're very confined, which is why it sucks because the Harry Potter world aspect is a fraction of what it is in Orlando. I thought they did. A, I did think they. I thought they did a really good job with the Harry Potter part. Like it, it certainly felt crammed, but it felt. I don't know. Yeah, it, with it, Hogsmeade, but they don't have any. But they can't do anything else. I guess that's what I mean. Like they can't do a Diagon Alley unless they got rid of more of the, the tour. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame because the tour was my favorite part of the entire day. I thought the tour was just was just great. Like, it felt, I don't know, like, for, I mean, I'm sure that's for a lot of people, but a lot of my favorite memories like or favorite experiences of the park now are ones that are, like, take me back to when I went as a kid, you know? Like, I'm not, like, anti-screen rides, but I will say at Universal, it gets just, it just gets to be a bit much with how many of them are screen rides. It's like... Yeah. Every ride, it feels like, again, at a certain point, like, it feels like I just went on the same ride five times, you know? Like, yeah, which is why I love, and I think we were talking about why Forbidden Journey works so well, because it's a great hybrid of screen and practical set pieces. Like, well, I think and, it's like and the, the queue best is example, just you know? the best queue of any oh. ride ever, I would say. But <laughs> the queue is yeah. amazing. I, I would go, Indy is like my. Just because the queue, to me, they, well, I also love the movies, um, all three of them that they made. But the queue for Indiana Jones is a like a, a ride in itself, like an experience in itself. Just there's so much to look at. And I always wonder if we'll ever have another Indiana Jones where so much of it was practical. And you look at how, like, the behind the scenes of how much time and effort and money and everything went into it. I mean, it was just nothing had ever been done like that before. Which is one of the positives for Eisner that he did push for that. He pushed for Star Wars and he pushed for Indiana Jones, you know, and that was before screens and everything. I think a whole land on Indiana Jones would be amazing. I, I don't, I'm actually kind of surprised. It was supposed to be. Oh, I know they're supposed to, to do one in Paris too. Um, yeah. Which is such an interesting. It's so interesting to read about that because in Paris, like a lot of what's still there where that's supposed to be was like made to be like easily removable. So, like, they mm-hmm. still have all that. Like, it's rumored that it could still happen at some point because they never built anything there, like, permanent. Um, and then you yeah, you end up with just that little mind well, coaster. Well, that's, that's, that's what I mean. Like, that franchise is one that Disney could really turn it around and then just make a whole... I mean, they could have another Star Wars on their hands, I think. I think Indy is a movie or is a franchise, and I get it. I get the whole Harrison Ford is Indy thing, but I'm sure Disney doesn't look at it that way. And yeah, once and kids once, wouldn't either, you know. Well, I I do think, yeah. and you know, you may agree or disagree, but I do think Indy could work once Harrison Ford steps down with someone else. I think it could happen. Uh, I think more so than Han Solo, 
I think in the U. Yeah. I think a big part of why I say that though is because I really have a like a craving for more of those type of movies, and I realized that I realized that Harrison Ford, you know, he might have one left in him, but after that, and we don't get any of. Those, I could see it. I mean, if don't he get any played of like movies. a mentor role or something, and like I, I again, like it's kind of a thing where I have the originals. Yeah, I really didn't like the the fourth one, but I could see them rebranding or not rebranding, but making it. I don't know. It's something I wouldn't personally want to see, but I understand why a lot of people would because it would, is a fun like you know. Like, but, but you know what I mean? Where they genre. don't they don't make. I don't know why they don't because everybody loves them. Like that's why that's why people are still asking for National Treasure three. You know, all these years after the second one came out. Because you don't get very many movies of in that genre, but everybody loves them. Right. And it's just, it's like one of the only genres that hasn't been done to death, you know? And I don't, I don't, True, yeah. I, I'm surprised though, because like, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't want it to be done to death, but at some point I think one of the uh, studios is going to, a studio is going to be like, all right, we got to, we got to get on this because everyone still talks about the mummy and the mummy returns because those did a way yeah. better job of being an Indiana Jones movie than the fourth Indiana Jones movie did. Like the first Mummy yeah. is really a great movie, um, and I love both of the National Treasure movies. I don't know how much of that is just because I love Nick Cage, but those movies are great. Well, he he makes you know it's kind of like there are certain actors where they can be in anything and it's going to be entertaining just because he has that um, you know that that personality and that it's just unpredictable the way he yeah yeah. So did you one thing I was going to ask? Did you see the um? Today, and for anyone listening, I guess this was uh, Monday, Mon- yeah, Monday, the concept art that was released for the Harry Potter coaster at Universal. I did see that. Um, I'm assuming since you brought it up, you also saw it. Yeah. Because you're more of the Harry Potter. I mean, I love the movies, but you're more of the Harry Potter buff, I would say. So I was curious what you um, what you thought of. I mean, I know you've been staying away from too much spoilers but based on your knowledge of the books and movies i know there was a lot of talk about you know because hogwarts you know anytime we've seen like an establishing shot of hogwarts the structures and you i mean you probably know what i'm talking about but there's a structure that the track goes out of that's not in any of the wide shots of hogwarts but obviously this is near hogwarts because it's hagrid's hut so i was curious if you had any insight on that if you know what i'm talking about is this structure in the teaser poster that, or is it that structure near? Because I'm pretty sure what you see, you're talking about like what's right in the foreground on the teaser poster, that little arch. Um, yeah, I'm, pr- it's I'm like pretty a, sure it's that's like the a church window. I think that's the structure in front of the ruined building that we're seeing in the in the teaser. Mm, oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Because there's two images. Um, right. Yeah. Because it's like a castle turret, turret, and I know obviously part of it is because they have to re-utilize the show building for the other, you know, the dueling dragons, which I think still had. I don't know if the turret was left over from that, but yeah, I see what you mean. Where it's like the castle structure, and then there's the the glass um, arch in front of that. So yeah, I guess it's really just that whole structure as a as a whole, like where you think that might be coming from, since in the images it's so near the hogwarts castle because my thought is like i know i mentioned uh, well for those of you who don't know the the rumor i suppose it's not really much of a rumor anymore is that 
the carts for the actual coaster are going to be Haggard's motorbike and the sidecar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, my thought, confirmed, yeah. my thought was between all the different show scenes is that, you know, the catalyst for you traveling from one to the next, you know, and the reason your cart would speed up would be Haggard to be using his speed boosts, which makes perfect sense to me. I, I don't know why they wouldn't utilize that. It makes perfect sense for how you'd be traveling so far. So some of these show scenes right. don't necessarily yeah. have to be as close as you would think, because at least in the context of how that works in the books, you'd be traveling way further than, you know what I mean? Like, he's, you're going so fast, you might be traveling to a right. different location. And and kind of like you, I've also stayed away from too many details, but I do know there's quite a few launch points where you yeah. launch. You know, you, you, see this, you see a scene, you know, you see Fluffy or whatever, and then you launch. So that could, that very well fits that. But my thought is, like, because that building, really looking at it, it, it almost looks like a section of the castle. Like, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that is going to be, if the context is going to be, like, the ride knows that it's, like, a group of muggles, so you're seeing Hogwarts as muggles would see it, because in the books, if you're a muggle and you come across the castle, you see it as just the old ruins of a small castle. Oh, that's right. So, hmm. I just, I mean, that's I don't know. True. They would really have to, like, write in another reason for a building like that to be there but that would make perfect sense if it's like you know they're muggles they can't see hogwarts and that's how you see it is that Hmm. as an old ruin because you can very clearly see like a castle turret on the left yeah are there any images from like whether it's from book art or something of what muggles see or is it just described in the books in the first i think it's the first book uh they explain that like muggles will just see like a sign that says danger stay away and they'll see the old ruins and that's all they'll see of the castle. But I don't think there's any, like, it's never been in the art. Maybe, or... maybe, like, fan art, but... Yeah, and I didn't think so, Because the original but that book's really for art. It's just what's on the cover, and then each uh, each chapter would, like, oh, have, like, true. a little thumbnail. Um, you but know, that makes beginning. sense. I wonder if anyone's tried... U.S. versions. There are the illustrated yeah. editions now. Maybe one of those has it. And it could be a perspective thing. I mean, I would have to... I doubt there's... A, I could be wrong, but... I don't think there's, like, any super massive wide shot of the castle that could... I mean, maybe they could just say, oh, it's just out of the shot. You know, I'm sure they know what they're doing, and J.K. Rowling is so specific that I could see them also just saying, oh, it's just the perspective where this is much farther away from the castle than it appears in the poster. It's just they had to include the castle because that's the only iconic, you know, image to sell the attraction in that so I could see oh, it sure. also just being a random ruins that they didn't talk about in the books or something. But I can that totally... doesn't have to be Hogwarts either. Yeah. But at certain part, like this, the, obviously, like there's no way this tra- this coaster can make like spatial sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I mean, if there's, a, I, I heard that too that there's going to be a scene with Fluffy. Assuming that's going to be on the trap door, like the iconic area, you're going to be in Hogwarts then too. Like some of those show buildings might be like, you know you're in a section of Hogwarts, even though the well, castle's the premise, over there. Yeah, the premise is Hogwarts or Hagrid. It's in the uh, article um, on Orlando Park Stop where they talk about the title. And I think, I don't have the page up right at the moment, but what was the title? Let me, because uh, she wrote, and this was Alicia Stella at Orlando Park Stop. The, one of the names is Hagrid's Magical Creatures Motorbike Adventure. Or it could be um, Hagrid's magical creatures. So it seems like it's very focused on him 
and maybe it's just where he keeps you know where did he keep fluffy before it could um, be sure it, or after so because i'm not sure exactly when in the films or in the books it takes place um that would be really cool like, like fluffy it, and yeah. i i really what are they what are they is haggard actually going to be a part of the ride yep. or is it or is it just haggard's yep. motorbike like is he going to be He's taking gonna, you on this adventure Again, like I'm, I'm sure people are like yelling, like, "No, that's not what they've said." But um, from what I know, like there will be like an animatronic of of uh, Hagrid, or at least a figure of some kind. So he will be involved in the, in the, um, in the experience. So that would be really cool, like if it does take place after the, because every ride so far, like Forbidden Journey, it takes place, really kind of just in limbo. You know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. ride doesn't really make any sense. Like anywhere in the time you don't 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 overthink it uh and then the gringotts ride takes place obviously in deathly hollows but even that's all like voldemort and bellatrix are there and it's just so that's what i mean like i feel like maybe i'm overthinking it or we're overthinking it because the ride doesn't really need to make sense like we could just be hopping around time to time because really escape from gringotts doesn't make any sense why is voldemort there bellatrix like they're, they're just there because it's a ride you know like this ride probably doesn't really have to make any any sense. Like you That's might be true. you might be it jumping around be like from book to book. In, like, inspired by the events in just like the like you said, Forbidden Journey. It's not doesn't have to be literal because you, you know, know, and that's what you know. You know, there's going to be a scene like at Aragog's lair, right? But if it takes place after the seventh book, Aragog is dead. But like it's like I, I just feel like you're probably just going to be jumping around from iconic scene to iconic scene, like. Now you're uh, you're at the trap door with Fluffy. Uh, maybe the trap door. Maybe you're on the trap door, and the trap door lets go, and your cart flies through it. Like, and then now you're in Aragog's lair, and now you're here, and it probably isn't gonna have any kind of like real narrative that you can. I I don't know. I mean, Forbidden Journey makes literally no sense, but it doesn't need to. Yeah. Well, either way, I'm excited. I'm like like. It's one of those ones. That's why I've stayed away from a lot of the specifics. Like, because I, I had a leash on, and we talked about it. But that was really early on, and since it's getting closer and closer, I've kind of stayed away from all the specifics. Because I am looking forward to it, and I think it'll be a fun ride. And um, I was never a fan of dueling dragons aside from the queue, but um, I'm just really looking forward to this one. And I think that it's a very brave. Or I don't know if brave's the right word, but noble that they instead of making it based off the current movies or the later movies that they are kind of taking a risk in having this be around a lot of the events and the creatures and stuff from the earlier movies, you know, like the older ones. I would actually knowing say that they can't show Harry Potter and, you know, I think it's just a cool th- I think it's cool that they're not taking the easy way and just gonna shoehorn harry potter the character and that they're taking hagrid who's you know has a lot of history and his creatures and that they're just doing it from that perspective rather than the easier more maybe marketable you know i mean how approach how, like a green gods what can they do if radcliffe and emma watson won't That's return true. you know like i mean i'm not gonna lie the lady or the voice actress they got for hermione on Oh, it's terrible. In both the Gringotts and on the train is just awful. I could do a better Emma Watson I impression. I mean, <laughs> it no, really no offense is bad. to the 
to if, if she's listening, no offense to you. It's just you don't really sound like uh, Hermione, and it kind of pulls you out of the But even on the ride, experience. I think how Emma Watson looks is distracting. Like, it doesn't look like... It doesn't really look like Daniel Radcliffe or Emma Watson because only Rupert Grint returned for that ride. Right. Like, he actually but that's filmed a very, stuff. But that's what I mean. That's a very iconic scene from the movies. So I feel like it would have been easier to take something like that, like Escape from the Ministry of Magic or whatever. But I like that they're going way back to the early, early movies and having Fluffy and Devil's Snare and all of those. So I think – and the Pixies, you know – so it's really like the first three movies, first two movies. I, just I think really, all of the aspects of the ride are from the first two movies. I really just hope that it's like actual physical. You know what I mean? Like I hope it's not like yeah, oh, they here's are. a screen with a bunch of devil snare on Pretty either side sure of you. They are like that. I, if they actually I know Fluffy do it, is if real. they go full out with animatronics, this could be the best ride at Universal. Like uh, I think yeah. Alicia said that Fluffy. Uh, could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, it's going to be some form of a figure. It won't be a a screen because I think all they're again they're trying to go away from because that's been everyone's complaint lately. So I think they're trying to kind of take a step back from doing screens with this one. I, I hope so because I mean Gringotts. I really like Gringotts, but the strongest parts of Gringotts are like the little, the the small amount of actual physical stuff that's there. Right. You know, like yep. all the screen stuff. I, I don't know screens. That ride didn't wow me with the screens. Like, it wasn't as seamless as Forbidden Journey, where, like, the screen yeah. stuff there was, like, really added to it. Like, you couldn't do that effect physically, so they did it with a screen. Versus Gringotts, it was, like, so much of that could have been real, you know? Like, the whole scene yeah. with the dragon. Like, there could have actually been a dragon there and, a, you know, a huge granite. I mean, they made the whole queue, you know, like, a huge granite area there where the dragon was chained up, and that yeah. would have been amazing, but it was a screen. Like, that's where I feel like... Like, use screens when it can't be done realistically with physical stuff, and then, you know, when it can, do it, you know? Otherwise... Yeah, that's why my first... The first time I wrote it, um, half the experience was ruined because there was, like, this Windows error that kept popping up, like, on almost all the screens. I forget exactly what it was, but it was, like, some sort of, you know, like, the typical error you see when a program's not working. And I think one of the screens wasn't working at all. So, they, so it's like a computer, so they had to, like, reboot it, and then we got, like, a pass to go back on. But, you know, those kind of problems are more prevalent or prevalent when you're relying just on screens and nothing physical, you know, to look at. Well, I'm, I'm really I, – I mean, really, actually, most of what I learned about it was today because I tried to completely stay away from it, but um, I figured anybody listening would be super frustrated if I had no idea anything about it, so – I tried to just give myself some light spoilers, but if it's actually real, I mean, that's like a dream, especially if it's set in the, the world of the first two movies, which the first two movies, to me, did by far the best job of capturing the books, like, in terms of an aesthetic, you know? Um, I mean, that's really exciting, actually. Like, if they've got, like, physical Devil Snare and everything like that, that'd be really, really cool. The Devil Snare, I would have to go back again and... Um re-listen to our podcast i guess and i know there's a lot of details that have come out since then but um try to stay away from it but i guess anything official you know i i try to stay up to date because i find that fascinating but like when it comes to i don't know i'm very choosy and picky when it comes to what 
I want to dive into spoiler wise versus what I want to have it surprised, you know, like I'll absolutely not watch any point of, you know, even if I don't write it immediately, I'm not going to watch any kind of point of view video of it. I never do that for a ride because I like to experience it for the first time without knowing exactly how it's going to go, you know? I wonder if they got, like, Robbie Coltrane back for anything, like, you know. I would I, imagine. He seems he's always up for, like, he's one of the few that always seems up for using his voice or likeness for the parks. I hope so. I mean, that'd be really cool, especially if there were, like, new scenes. and I mean, that's where I like the screens. If they actually have, like, new stuff there, that'd be cool. But, um, like, if his animatronic, his voice and everything. I don't know. I'm actually well, really excited pet now. Peeve, my biggest pet peeve, and it's like a tangent I've gone on before with actors and actor, actors and actresses where, you know, how hard, and maybe it, I don't know, maybe it's a legal thing, I don't know, but how hard would it be for Hermione or um, Emma Watson to just record a few lines for a ride, you know, and send, I mean, with technology, I'm sure everyone has, you know, even a, a phone does, I, I don't know, uh, like just, it's the movies and the series that made her who she is in terms of her career and her fame um, and her wealth or whatever you want to go into. But, you know, I understand maybe not coming back and filming anything because schedules are so all over the place, but it'd be so easy. I feel like to just record a few lines and send it to make the experience for fans a little bit more immersive than force them to have a really not great impression of, you know what I mean? Like it's not that hard to, no, I, a few lines for I understand. I also get what that made probably, you who you are. They probably don't want to revisit. Maybe they just want to move I on. Know. Like especially Radcliffe, you get the feeling he just kind of, yeah, know, he, he 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 just wants to move on, and now that's why he's doing all these weird quirky roles. Like because if he, he I, I actually I never thought like he would be able to move past just being seen as Harry Potter, but I actually think he's done the best job of it out of anybody. Like just because of the crazy mm-hmm. eccentric roles he's taken on. So I get it to a certain extent. It just, it's kind of, I don't know if funny is the right word, but it's a little funny, like, just because they couldn't get Emma Watson to record, like, a few lines, just how many people had to put in how much work to just even still get yeah. a pretty mediocre result. Like, next time you go on uh, Gringotts, just actually pay attention to the actual few, the few scenes where Harry and Hermione are there. It's very clear that they only had Rupert Grint, by the way, by how, like how much they put a focus on him um but the few yeah. scenes where harry and hermione are actually there it's like oh it's it really doesn't well, for me great. like i guess i understand more like now i would be more understanding to be like okay you know she has her own thing harry potter was finished however many years ago but i guess my thing was when they were you know when diagon alley and the whole hogwarts express came out it hadn't been that long from the movies. So I feel like by that point, there was there wouldn't have been as much of a, oh, I want to distance myself from it versus now it's more understandable because that was a while ago. But, yeah, you know, I mean, it was probably only, I mean, what, uh, Diagon Alley opened in 2014. So when they were actually reaching out to them, it was probably like, what, 2012, 2013? Yeah. I mean, at that point, it's only a year or maybe two after yeah, that's what I mean. the last yeah. movie had come out. But I don't know. I it's it's fine i guess i mean i would love to see them back even for like a little i still remember when they have initially announced um escape from gringotts all of these websites posted articles that were like 
new ninth Harry Potter film announced, actors returning, and then you click on it, and it's just like, Helena Bonham Carter is recording a five-minute clip for Escape from Gringotts, and all of them said there was a ninth Harry Potter movie coming. Um, I got baited. All the rumors, all the rumor mills. But, yeah, it just it's a pet peeve because every time I ride the Hogwarts Express, I, I just cringe because it's such a high-pitched, squealy... I, it just doesn't even remotely sound like her. And, it, and it's funny to watch the reactions of people also in the cabin because they always look at... If they're a fan of the movies and it's like their first time, they always look at each other confusingly like, oh, that's... That's not Hermione. Like, I think it's a, so obviously not her voice. I think a lot of people just don't even realize it's supposed to be Hermione. Like, it's that off where you're just like, oh, so is it Harry, Ron, and some, just some other girl? You know, like, I, I mean, it's that far off base where it doesn't even have any resemblance to how Emma Watson sounds. Like, I'm actually kind of surprised they haven't changed it because I've heard a lot of people bring that up, and it seems like it'd be yeah. relatively easy to just you know, find someone that's a little better suited. Because I, I, I thought Harry sounded fine, or at least close yep. enough where it's not distracting. At the end of the day, what can you do? We have an amazing experience, so I guess I can't complain too much. No, I really am excited for this ride now. I'm kind of I'm kind of torn, like, because I knew literally nothing about it until earlier today, but... Um, I, I, spoiled, I spoiled the magic for you. My expectations are really high now, so... Uh, well, that's good. This better be the greatest ride ever created or it's a disappointment exactly like that's, that's kind of how it how it goes that's if you like just a pro tip from me um if you never want to be disappointed going with those expectations every time like if this isn't the greatest thing ever made I'm going on a twitter tirade that's how my friend would always say for movies you know if you go into every movie thinking it's going to be the worst movie ever made you're never going to be disappointed. <laughs> That's it's true, funny. but that would be a sad existence. Like, It is. Who's going to want to go to a movie with you if you walk in like, man, this is the worst. Uh, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be awful. I don't know, at this point in time, I almost do kind of have that. I mean, like can I mention, I went, when I recently saw Crimes of Grindelwald or whatever, uh, I went in knowing it probably wasn't going to be anything amazing. It wasn't going to be fantastic. But Ooh. wait, was that so I wasn't. Purpose? I didn't. It was okay. the pun was intended. Uh, so I wasn't. I didn't leave like disappointed because I just knew, and that's a whole whole other topic. But I just I knew it wasn't going to be like an amazing experience, and I didn't hate it. But it kind of helped knowing that, um, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like Star Wars where that's a whole other story of levels of disappointment with the last. <laughs> or aspects of the last <laughs> Jedi, but alas, I don't want to. Di- what do they say? Digress. I don't want to digress too much. Well, we probably. I, I mean, digress. that's a, that's a, that's a wrap. That's a beehive. Um, but yeah, I agree on Fantastic Beasts. I I actually kind of wish I'd had my expectations uh, lowered as you had because I went into it having really liked the first one, and um, if I had went in thinking like I don't know, I think if I'd went in with lowered expectations, I don't know, maybe I would have liked it more. That could be said for pretty much any movie, though. I mean, you walk in expecting it to blow you away, and when it doesn't, it's hard not to let yourself be a little let down. But some people yeah. some people liked Fantastic Beasts, too. There are aspects I enjoy. I'll put it this way. There are aspects, there weren't many, but there were aspects that I did enjoy, 
and uh, I just had a lot of issues with the everything else. But it's not a terrible movie. You know, the production value is good. The CGI is good. The music was I like enjoyed the music. The performances are good. So, you know, it, it's being graded on a different scale than you know when you when you've seen like pretty bad when you see actual bad movies. You know, these are just you know at least the production values were good. You know. I mean, to be fair, like, like the the Harry Potter movies themselves as movies are very touch and go. You know, some of them are they're not perfect. That's for sure. Um, I guess with, with well, you come up with a different perspective because you, like I said, I read the books once, so I really grew up on the movies more, and you kind of have the opposite. So I have a you have a different perspective than I do on the movies. But that's the nice thing with the movies is like you watch the movie. It's a nice bonus, but you always have the books, you know? Like, for, mm. the, for this story, the only medium we have for this story is the movie. True. So whenever you want to revisit that, you have to slog through, you know... Like, especially especially with Fantastic Beasts 2, it's going to be like... Because I'm very excited to hear this full story of the, the first Wizarding War and everything, but... Right. The, my only option to experience it will be with all these other plots going on. That uh, it's yeah. just it's just weird. Like with the movies, it's like if they don't if they don't touch on something from the books you loved, you still have the books to experience it that way. Well, it's like Lord of the Rings. You know, like I, again, I read all the books. Um, I think I saw Fellowship first, and then I read the books. I can't remember the order, but I know they cut a lot from the books and there are times I someone will bring up something that they left out of the movies and I'll be like oh yeah I remember that part and there were very but there were very very few things that from having read them all once and then seen the movies within a couple years there were only a couple things that bothered me that they either didn't they they either didn't include or they put that weren't in the books and I always think and again I'm biased because they're my favorite movies of all time but I think it's probably one of the best examples of a book adaptation where they kept enough of the books um, but made the movies their own. But I know there are people that hate the movies because the books are, you know, that because of how much they changed. But for me, there were only a few things, mainly just in the third one. Um, there were quite a few differences, but... Um, I think the Harry Potter movies are such a weird... They're such a weird place for me because I I like all of them and I'll watch all of them and not none of what they left out like I think a lot of aspects of especially some of the later movies could have been done better but to me I guess it just doesn't matter all that much because I have the books and the movies are still fun mm-hmm. to watch and I don't know it's, it really is weird like there's certain things where it's like yeah they could have done that way better but I also people listening I have hardcore nostalgia glasses for the movies too especially the first few so when you watch the movie, you're almost watching it like you were a kid again. But it's like, when I actually want to experience the story, I read the books. When I just want to yeah. turn my brain off and put a movie on, I watch the movies. And as far as that goes, they do that just fine. I've always just wondered how people who hadn't read the books can enjoy the movies to a full extent. Because there's a lot of stuff that, if you hadn't read the books, you can't fill in the blanks. And you have to be left wondering, like, okay, why did that happen? Yeah. But, oh, well, we could well, talk about Those nostalgia goggles are pretty powerful. I know, like... There are certain movies where Hook is a good example where I do not see why people – it's not a hated movie, but it has incredibly bad critical review – or 
incredibly bad. It's a horrible – it has really poor critical reviews from that time. And even now, people seem to really not rank it high on Spielberg's film list. But I love Hook, and I love so many aspects of it. But I don't know how much of that is just, like, the nostalgia goggles, where obviously everyone can agree that Robin Williams is great. John Williams' score is absolutely amazing. So there are aspects of that. But then how much do the nostalgia goggles account for, like, my enjoyment of the story and the narrative and Mm -hmm. everything else, you know? And that's a lot of movies. Like, I love The Goonies, but I guess now I keep hearing that it doesn't hold up, and I'm always in the camp of it does hold up. But again, how much is that is how much of that is my nostalgia for growing up on the Goonies? I haven't had too much of that experience. I've either had both. I've had my, all mine are like on uh, both ends of the spectrum where it's like the movies I loved as a kid. I either rewatch them and realize, Oh, Oh gosh, this is like the worst movie I've ever seen. Like spy kids, 3d game over. Oh yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not. It's so fun though. Believe it or not. That movie does not hold up, but Oh, that's a shocker. It's but, fun though because it's so it's a so bad it's good in my opinion. It is, like, but as there's a so kid, many I random was, cameos. But as a kid, I thought it was just like a masterpiece, you know. But oh yeah, I loved Phantom Menace as a kid. It's one but of my now, favorite movies. But what I was gonna, but a lot of my other favorite movies I watch now, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's still pretty good. I don't think I've ever had one where I've watched it and I've been like on the on the I like I, where I thought it was mediocre. It's either I watched it and it's like that was terrible, or I watched mm. it and it's just as good as I remember it being. I will say there are tons of movies. This is probably part of it. There's a tons of movies where I think it might be that way, but I've just chosen to never revisit them because I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> ruin my memories memory. of it. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just gonna leave that in 2004. I have that with, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit it. But as a kid, I thought I thought The Master of Disguise was the funniest movie I'd ever seen. It has like Dana Carvey in it and some other people, and I have not seen it since I was a kid. But I watched a nostalgia critic review of it, and I was the whole time I was thinking, how could I have found this funny as a kid? But I thought that movie was hilarious, and I do not want to watch it because it, so it will ruin like my memories of finding it so amazing. I mean, it's probably amazingly bad, so maybe I can change that. It has a 1% on Rotten Tomatoes, for crying out loud. But it, for whatever reason, as a kid, when it came out, I would have been like 12 or 13, I think. I thought it was the funniest movie I'd ever seen. But I know now I'd probably think it's one of the worst comedies cool. I'd ever seen. But I'm not, I haven't revisited it. You know, I've kind of kept it in, like you said, 2002. It's probably for the best, though. Out. Like when I was a kid, I, I loved like Tommy Boy and Black Sheep. And some of those movies, I, I still, still love still Tommy think Boy. Are, I still think those movies are funny. But then, like, I think Tommy Boy holds up. That's my opinion. Well, Tommy Boy and Black Sheep I'm probably are, alone in it. are like the same movie. I mean, really? Yeah, they are. But I like both of them still. But like, then Beverly Hills Ninja, which I don't know if you've ever seen that, but as a kid, I thought that was just as good as the other two. That's that's uh, with Chris Farley and yeah, Chris, yeah. I, uh, Chris I never Rock. got around to that one. I thought that movie was just as good as the other two, and I I can't even get through that movie. And I mean, as a kid, I loved Adam Sandler stuff too. And for me, it was like I well, I loved all those movies equally. It was like Billy Madison, Little Nicky. Uh, all those early 2000s ones, and now it's just like the only ones I really even kind of enjoy are Billy Madison and uh, Happy Gilmore. But as a kid, like I thought, I thought Grown Ups was great, and it's like, yikes. But I, I guess it's. But to it's, be fair, comedy has changed a bit um, when you got the whole 
kind of Judd Apatow movement where comedies took on more of the dramedy because for a long time, and not to say that there weren't any comedies that weren't, you know, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is still a great comedy, but I feel like what was funny back then, maybe not now, so it's not always a fair comparison because comedy, just like any genre, has changed and what we consider good special effects 20 years ago may not hold up. So a bit of that comes into play. Not to say that I'm trying to justify my my past love for Master of Disguise, but comedy does change over time. And a lot of those Adam Sandler movies, that comedy doesn't work as much anymore. That's true. You don't really having, you know. You don't even really see John Hughes style comedies anymore. Right. Like that's that's kind of just been left in the 80s for the most part and really a movie like that came out now maybe people wouldn't like it at all like like a movie like Uncle Buck which I still love that movie but I don't know that I've seen a movie like Uncle Buck or The Great Outdoors in a long time. I feel like now people would think a lot of that's like lowbrow lowbrow humor because it's been and that's what I was again I, I use this saying too much but it's another topic for another episode but the whole idea of if certain movies that were classics or at least thought of as really good or really funny or really dramatic or whatever were released today, you know, would they have the same reception and vice versa if movies that were released today were released in the past? You know, how how the audiences and critical consensus would change on it. You have a movie like The Shining when it came out. Every, every critic hated it, and now it's a masterpiece. So it's interesting how that kind of works. Yeah, I get. It. I mean, I feel like I mean, even the early 2000s have their own like style of comedy. Like all those Will Ferrell movies that all came out like back to, I don't know if you remember, but around like 2003 to 2006, it was like every 3 months there'd be a new Will Ferrell movie it felt like. Like, like they yeah. all, they almost all just like blended together. It's like Semi-Pro, Blades yeah, of Glory, that. all these movies that would just constantly come out. And even those have like their own like trademark style of comedy that's not in my opinion holds up, but I mean, I saw those movies when they came out like Right. And then, oh, God, Holmes and Watson. Oh, God. Did you see Holmes and Watson? No, but I know we talked about it, and I've heard enough reviews that it doesn't even... The the thing that's funny about that one, it's not even a so bad it's good. It's just bad. And those are the worst kind of... Like, I know I could watch The Master of Disguise, and I probably would have more fun just making fun of it. But I've heard with Holmes and Watson, like, it's just a so bad, it's, like, bad. And there's, like, no enjoyment. It's not a so bad, it's good. It's just bad, you know? I think it must have, I mean, they must have made that. It's just, it's, uh, we, we have this conversation about so many different people, but it's just, you just wonder how somebody who made something so great could make something so bad. Like, when something mediocre comes out, you're like, okay, I mean, I can see where they thought this was funny. Like, like the campaign, if you ever saw that with Will Ferrell, it's just... It's mediocre, there's funny parts, a lot of the jokes don't land, but overall... Right. But Holmes and Watson, it was just like, nothing about this works. And John C. Riley is a very, very good actor, not just comedically. Right. Like, he has... He's a fantastic actor outside of that. And Will Ferrell has proven himself to be like... Uh, he's made some of the greatest comedies of the last 20 years, in my opinion. And then he comes out with something like that. Like, I, I get the mediocre stuff, like... Uh, Daddy's Home Two, not very good, but <laughs> yeah. I get I get where like you would make a movie like that. You know what I mean? Like a family movie. And yeah. It's not very. I I don't really enjoy it at all. But like Holmes and Watson, it's like who is this appealing to? And that's where it just gets confusing. It's like who did you think would like this? Oh, Will. 
at least Anchorman. I think, uh, again, it's, it's, you know, I'm sure when you reach a point in the celebrity lifestyle, if you, even if you have a really dumb idea, you know it'll sell a certain amount of tickets. So it's like an experiment. It's kind of like the equivalent of being a film student and saying, hey, I have this idea. Let's go shoot it over a weekend just on a much bigger scale. Um because they know they'll turn out some profit, but I guess I'd have to see it to really know the true um, level of. I think I think you should see it. I think it's uh, well worth your time. <laughs> maybe maybe if it's on Netflix and I have literally nothing else to do and I need to procrastinate from an episode, I'll. I'll well, they originally offered it to how... Netflix because the studio didn't want to release it in theaters, and Netflix said it was too bad for them to put it on Netflix. And that's that's so then they sad. had to release it Not to... in theaters. Not to say, like, you know, because Netflix has some really great content, you know, um, especially their original stuff. But that's pretty sad if it was because there's some really bad stuff on Netflix. So it's that just shows how bad it was if even they turned it down um, to not even get the Will Ferrell fans to watch it. No, that's crazy. Um, Like, I mean, Netflix, they have a good reputation because they have so much that comes out that's amazing. But they also put out an insane volume worth of stuff so it's like right if even they're just like all right we can't we can't associate ourselves with holmes and watson you know something's wrong um but we covered pretty much red letter media oh yeah no it's really quick that i think red letter media mentioned where for a time it was like anytime netflix had an original special or show or whatever it was kind of a big deal but now there's what and that has nothing to do with whether it was good or not but now there's just so much content coming out that you go on Netflix and there's like five Netflix original movies that you've never heard of. So it's really changed um, in terms of how much content they're putting out versus for a while. I remember it was when a Netflix original series came out, it was kind of a big deal, especially uh, if it was really good. But now be- there's a lot that's on there that is great, but I've never heard of. That's because every studio out there is trying to put their own streaming service together. So they're going to want their own stuff for their yeah. own streaming service. And Netflix, I think they're realizing the like, future. okay, we need to have a library that stands on its own. Like, I mean, they tried to pull it's friends the future, at the end man. of the year and it's just They're going to do the same thing that happened with, with cable where, you know, the, it gets so crazy with prices and everything. And there's like 5 million different, you know, things trying to get your money so you have access to what you want that people are going to be like pushed back into pirating stuff because yeah not like it, the way it is and the way it has been for a few years is like you can just have netflix and you have access to most of what you want but once it gets to the point right. where you need to have you need to pay for 10 different streaming services to actually have yep. access to what you want people are going to be like i can't afford this and they're just going to be tempted to pirate so i really feel like a lot of these guys are just kind of I guess it's just going to happen with anything. Once the competition all comes up, then people get frustrated. Because isn't Disney isn't Disney pulling quite a bit of their stuff from Netflix when they launch their own? Yeah, Captain Disney? Captain Marvel is the first Marvel. Well, maybe the first Marvel movie in years that's not going to Netflix. It's going to be used straight on their streaming yeah. service, and I'm sure that's going to happen more and more. Like we still don't really know the full context behind why Netflix canceled all of their Marvel shows. Um, and like which are wildly popular especially daredevil and punisher um i mean punisher and jessica jones haven't officially been canceled yet but that's only because jessica jones season three is hasn't come out yet so i'm sure they don't want to cancel it before it comes out because that's not going to help the ratings but 
I mean, if Daredevil got canceled, <laughs> so. then Jessica Jones is going to get canceled too. Because um, no one wants to watch a show, or no no new people are going to try watching a show if they know that there's not going to be any more seasons. Exactly. You know, there's and less of an incentive. That's why, like, I uh, apparently and allegedly, like, Disney didn't force them to cancel it, but I suppose Netflix doesn't want to... I mean, I suppose all Netflix feels like they're doing at this point is just helping out their competition by yeah, producing these, true. you know, shows because now Disney is going to have all their own Marvel shows and Netflix is just painted in a corner where they can only use this select handful of characters. I, yep. still, I still think it's That's a weird true, decision. because if they had a season four, on, let's say they had a season, the next season of Daredevil on the Disney one, then you're just promoting their product, you know, because then it's like, oh, to see the next season, you have to get Disney. So I can see why they would have that mentality as well. And they know that if Disney is to pick up their... And that's why probably Disney probably won't do it. Like, if Disney was to pick up Daredevil and use... And I don't know if they can, but I would assume at some point they'd be able to um, use those characters again and probably the same actors. They'll never do it because then if you want to go see the last seasons, you got to go to their competitor. So it really is sad, right. though, because, I mean, especially Daredevil, like, season three was just great you know and it's stuff yeah, like I that I never that got just, around to that one it just kind of screws it all up because but I get it I mean it's anything like I feel like that was like the golden age of streaming and it's kind of coming to an end um, yeah it's curious to see because now we have and we were talking about this earlier but you know like I don't even have cable anymore because I don't watch any network TV show real well other than like one uh, a while ago. I don't really watch any network TV shows. I watch HBO and Hulu and Netflix and um, Showtime. And so it'll be interesting to see what, you know, if cable will ever just kind of end and if it will all be streaming services and how far it'll go. Or if you like what you said, if like every president, CBS or one of those had their own streaming service for a while, if like all these stations start doing their own streaming service, then it'll just become like cable again where you have to sign up for a hundred bucks worth of services to watch, you know, the stuff you enjoy watching. Well, yeah, with news or CBS all access, even right now, like, Oh yeah, that's it. All they have pretty much. I mean, I'm sure someone, I'm sure there's other stuff on there that people like, but for the most part, what people have CBS all access for is for Star Trek. And that's why like a lot of people, that's and they're trying to avoid that is they'll just pay for it when the new season comes out and then cancel because it's all they have so start you know cbs started to do things where like they'll release like one short like every couple of months to just desperately try to get you to stay subscribed <laughs> and it's like once yeah. every single network has their own streaming service people are just going to feel the same way they did with with cable where it's just going to get too expensive yeah. because you know cable has gotten to the point where they have it priced so astronomically yeah. high because there's like a there's still like a small section of people who still really want cable because that's what they're used to. But like, right. You know, I don't really know anybody around my age that still pays for cable because it's not the norm anymore. Most of the people that are still, that still have cable are just people that don't really want to move on to streaming. So they stick with what they know. Or even like HBO is a good example. I'm pretty sure it's HBO for both game of Thrones and Westworld. If it didn't, if it wasn't for those two shows, because I've already finished all the other ones that, um, I forget which ones, but I know there's another HBO show. I 
binge through. But so that's the only reason I would still keep. And I think I actually did cancel it when they were like, oh, Westworld won't be out till 2020 and Game of Thrones won't be up until 2019 that I canceled it. And I'll just pick it back up for those two shows. And I'm sure they don't want that. I mean, I'm sure. I just, I think people, I think a lot of these studios, like especially some of these networks that don't have much of a library, I think they'd be way better off selling them to someone like Netflix, other than trying to like, because you're just you're just forcing people to just either pirate it or not watch it at all, you know. And your show's not going to really grow in popularity if it's not easily accessible to people. You know, a lot of these shows get so popular because they're on something like Netflix. And that gives these shows just incredible legs. Like, The Office, I mean, it was very clearly a popular show throughout its entire run. But I, I would actually say it's, like, at peak popularity now. And that's yeah. because of Netflix. That's just how it is, you know? Yeah, I agree. Because it's just every, every time you go on Netflix. Like, I think there's a meme floating around where... It just shows like someone logging into Netflix and every suggestion is The Office because it's just, you know, The Office and Parks and Recreation. I mean, I hate to be generic, but that's about 95% of what I use Netflix for is just open it up and put The Office on for background noise. Like, and that's what a lot of people do. The Office and, you know, Friends and uh, a lot of those shows have stayed so popular because of it. So I think some of these networks that just have a pretty limited library, like Disney... I mean, I'll get Disney Plus. They have enough that I want access to that I, I, I'm 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 okay with that because Disney has an insane library. But I mean, I would never yeah. pay for something like even if I was the biggest Star Trek fan ever. I I can't imagine paying X amount every month for access to one show. It's like if AMC had their own streaming service, I wouldn't because Better Call Saul is probably my favorite show at the moment. I wouldn't pay for their streaming right. service just for one show. Like, I, I, I'd yeah. rather just buy it on DVD and then just have it forever. Like, it's just, that's what I mean. Like, all these streaming services, like, trying to compete is really going to end up just pushing people right back to where they were. And then streaming prices are going to go up because they're going to have less subscribers, but they know there's a certain amount of people that'll pay whatever. And it's just, it's going to get worse and worse and worse, and it's going to become cable all over again until something else comes along to be the next yeah. Netflix, well, I what guess. Well, what do they say, the, you know, the best predictor of the future is the past or something like that history repeats itself all those quotes or or all those sayings are true we still got a few years left netflix is still pretty great hulu is still pretty great yeah but i was gonna say i I don't even know how we got to this i don't even know how we got from from uh harry potter to to this but that was i don't know either but yeah we did cover by the way we did cover everything we wanted to cover even though we did get down a lot of uh um like we started talking about uh, Buzzy and ended up in a debate about uh, I don't even remember. We just ended up on a completely different topic forty minutes later. Alrighty, well, thank you all so much for watching or not watching but listening because this isn't going on YouTube. Um, I hope you enjoyed this new format. Uh, I'd love to hear from all of you about it, um, or if there's anything in the future you'd like us to talk about or make a segment. Um, this is just uh, an experiment going forward. All that being said, again, uh, check out the channel if you haven't already, youtube.com slash Entertainment, and we'll see you next time on Yesterworld.